all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Medical Director of the Center for the Advancement of Youth and Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Graduation from high school is done. Now teens will be embarking on a new path, either to college or to work. Are they ready? Do you think that you were prepared when you left your parents' home? Did you make mistakes or had failures? Today, we'll talk about why teens do the things they do and how we can better understand and prepare them for what's to come. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. You can share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking from MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Windsor Johnston. A 22-year-old American college student has been freed by North Korea. Media reports quote the parents as saying they've been told their son, Otto Warmbier, is in a coma. He had been serving a 15-year prison term for what Pyongyang called anti-state acts. It will be another dramatic day of Senate testimony in the ongoing investigation into Russian interference in last year's election. As NPR Scott Detrow reports, Attorney General Jeff Sessions will appear before the Senate Intelligence Committee. Senator Susan Collins is one of the Republicans on the Intelligence Committee. She says lawmakers will likely ask about Sessions' role in the firing of former FBI Director James Comey and whether that was appropriate given the Attorney General's recusal from the Russia investigation. Collins has other questions, too. Whether he had contacts with high-ranking Russian officials and what was the nature of those contacts, how often did they occur, when did they occur, and what was discussed. Sessions' testimony is relatively last minute. It's a response to Comey's testimony last week, which raised several questions about Sessions in Russia. Scott Detrow, NPR News. Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein says there's no evidence of good cause to fire Special Prosecutor Robert Mueller, who's overseeing the Russian investigation. I am confident that he will have sufficient independence, uh, and it's certainly theoretically possible uh, that the Attorney General could fire him, but that's the only person who has authority to fire him. And in fact, the chain of command for the special counsel uh, is only directly to the Attorney General, or in this case, the acting Attorney General. Rosenstein is responding to reports suggesting that President Trump was thinking of terminating Mueller from his position as special counsel. Voters in Virginia are going to the polls today. There's a gubernatorial election at the top of the ticket. As NPR Sarah McCammon reports, the race could be an early test of the mood of both major parties in the wake of the 2016 election. Voters are choosing amongst candidates who represent differing factions within both the Democratic Party and the GOP. The three Republicans include a former presidential advisor and lobbyist, Ed Gillespie, a state senator, Frank Wagner, and a former state campaign chairman to Donald Trump, Corey Stewart. 
He's modeled his campaign rhetoric after Trump, although he's lagged behind the frontrunner Gillespie in polling and fundraising. For Democrats, the choices are Lieutenant Governor Ralph Northam and former one-term Congressman Tom Perriello. Northam was seen as an early favorite for the nomination until he was challenged by Perriello, who's been endorsed by progressive senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Sarah McCammon, NPR News. Stocks are trading higher on Wall Street at this hour. The Dow was up 78 points. The Nasdaq up 37. The S&P 500 up 7. This is NPR News in Washington. Jury deliberations are continuing in the sexual assault trial of Bill Cosby. Jurors have requested more of the actor-comedian's deposition testimony from the accuser's lawsuit. Cosby chose not to testify when the defense opened yesterday. The prosecution rested its case on Friday after five days of testimony. The city of Oakland is gearing up for a victory parade on Thursday as Golden State Warriors fans celebrate their NBA championship win. The Warriors beat the Cleveland Cavaliers 129-120, to clinching their second title in three years. NPR's Eric Westervelt has fan reaction from Oakland. Inside the Warriors arena, fan Tom Pratt celebrated a title he says comes from playing unselfish team ball. In contrast, he says, to LeBron James's Cavaliers. Towards the end of the game, uh, you know, number 23 on the Cavaliers just kept hogging the ball and running it down, you know, and it's just like, it's not, it's team. It feels great. We want five more. Fan Licia Bravel says the Warriors are just really fun to watch. I'm selfish, share the ball. They're having fun out there. Kevin Durant took home the MVP trophy, capping a great year and a stellar finals run in which he scored 30 or more points in each game, including 39 points last night. Eric Westervelt, NPR News, Oakland. In Southern California, the mayors of Los Angeles and Long Beach are touting an agreement they've signed designed to reduce air pollution. It sets specific clean air goals for their respective ports. The standards are aimed at ships, trains, and diesel trucks. I'm Windsor Johnston, NPR News, in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Fidelity Investments, taking a personal, dedicated approach to wealth planning to help clients build, grow, and preserve their family's wealth. Learn more at fidelity.com slash wealth. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. This is Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. And now, Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and today we are talking, unrelatively speaking, about off to college, off to work, out of parents' home, leaving home. So graduation's done um, with high school. Now teens will be embarking on that new path. It'll either be to college or to work. Are they ready? Do you think that you prepared your child Do you think you were prepared when you left your parents' home? Did you make any mistakes? Did you have any failures? I want to talk about those today so we can discuss sort of why those failures happen, why teens do the things they do, and how maybe we can better understand 
why they do what they do, and how we can better prepare them for what's to come. Whether they're going into uh, a trade school or um, a community college or a senior college, what can we do to try to assure that success? Now, we have the summer uh, weeks, uh, not even months left, but there's still some things we can talk about as we move along. Um, So, listening audience, it's just us today, and I really would like for you to call in and and give advice that you might have on how you think you were prepared or not so, or how you prepared your children for school, and and maybe what little insight you might have. You can share your comments and experience this morning by calling at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's 877-672-7464 you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org so let's talk to start with a little bit about teen teen behavior you know driving fast breaking those curfews arguing with you maybe occasionally crossing the line with the law teenagers um often try to push the limits um they push your patience as parents sometimes um and sometimes children go far and end up with tragic results but the majority of time Our teens uh, end up getting through high school, doing fairly well, and moving on to the next step. All teens go through somewhat similar phases. Um, Some kids, as we've talked about before, because of the different personality types, that introverted or that extroverted child or that anxious or that sort of released child who has has no holes barred can all be very different. But all in all, every one of them is trying to develop some independence, trying to become a separate person. And to do that, they have to, to some degree, test and press authority. We so often as mentors, teachers, parents, um, believe that we always know the absolute right thing for that child. But I can tell you, I've parented five, and many times I felt like I knew exactly what those teens needed to do. But maybe I wasn't always exactly correct. Um, and as we move along, I'll give you a, a, a few of those instances. But before we get to that, I want to kind of talk about why teens are different than adults and why they uh, we need to remember that they're different, remember that we need to view them as different um, because they're still in a development stage. Back years and years ago, we used to talk about the fact that brain development was very, very rapid. It obviously still is from birth to three, right? Um, But the information, the old information out there was that really the brain was kind of done with its growth and its patterning and its pruning by age four or five. 
Now we know that's completely incorrect. Um, there are two sort of major pruning pathway stages, um, and and they're not absolute finite. In that birth to three uh, period, we have pathways being set, and we've talked about the use it or lose it pathway. So if you don't, if your eyes are covered up and you never see, then you don't develop the the visual pathway, the ophthalmic pathway, the visual pathway, and so um, your sight can be forever lost. But if you move fast forward to a 14 or 15-year-old, we found that pathways are still being developed. Pruning is still being done in the brain. Um, Some of those um, areas of brain, that gray matter that is used for memory and storage, if it's not being used, it sort of goes away. Um, And so we are still maturing that front part of the brain, the front prefrontal cortex that we've talked about. So there are changes that are going on um, continuing probably through at least the mid-20s for males and the early 20s for females, maybe a little bit sooner depending on the individual. So... Lesson one is that the brain is still under construction. So kids are still kind of figuring out um, who they are and who we are. So when younger children um, are, when we're parenting our younger children, they often don't see flaws in their parents. They think we're great, right? They think that we know everything right, we do everything correctly. Well, then adolescence um, comes and they start looking at us more, maybe with a critical eye. They um, construct in their brains what that ideal parent might be. And they might decide that we aren't quite where we need to be. So here we are in mid to later adolescence and our children are looking at us with a more critical eye as their brain develops a little more as they um, find that peers are more important than family at that point, they believe. And so they think that now we don't know so much about how to dress and walk and talk and sometimes we're embarrassing and how many different stories do you have out there where kids have asked you to drop them off two blocks from wherever they're going because they don't want anybody to see see them in the car or with that parent who was so terribly uncool, right? Um, and I can remember, I have a story I'm going to tell about one of my daughters. Um, not terribly long ago, um, she was over visiting and in my closet and she pulled something out of my closet and held it up and looked at it and said, Mom, do you still wear this? Because if you do, you shouldn't. 
And I looked at her and I said, but I love that. And she said, Mom, you've got to quit wearing clothes like this. So, you know, here she is. We're shifting. I can remember one time telling her that she needed to turn around, go back upstairs and change because there was an outfit that she had on that perhaps wasn't quite right. Actually, it was my husband who told her to do that. So... All of the sudden, these um, teens that we've told what to do all their lives now are telling us what they think we should do. Is that all bad? No, it's not. The good news is, is that they're becoming their own individuals. They're formulating their own opinions, and they should be able to be confident in expressing their own opinions and feeling like their opinions count. Now, as we move through the show, we certainly need to talk about respect and and how we treat other individuals and how we treat our parents. And we'll talk about that. I'm not talking about being disrespectful and being hypercritical, but what I'm talking about is allowing our older teens to have an opinion. Uh, to be able to express an opinion. So um, it may seem that sometimes the teens are arguing for the sake of arguing, but really what they're doing is practicing. They're practicing their new social abilities. They're practicing who maybe they may become. And and yes, um, a lot of experimentation and wrongdoing often goes in with these teens, and that's hopefully why they're still in our homes and still being given direction so that when they make a choice that's not a good choice, it's something that we can talk about and hopefully redirect. So what I'm talking about is that we have these teens in our homes, they're experimenting, they're trying out who they are, and then at 17 or 18 or maybe 19 for some of the lucky few who are a little bit older um, in their class, um, we, we move them out of the home and then all of a sudden we expect them to be able to take care of themselves, to be that mature person who knows how to take care of everything. So my question to you is, Are we preparing them or are we expecting things that is perhaps something that we haven't prepared them correctly for? So we're talking about going to college, leaving the home. Are our teens prepared? Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking, and we'll be right back. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. 
Living jazz legend Sonny Rollins has been playing the horn for nearly eight decades. Got this horn, man, and I, I went in the room and I shut the door and I was in heaven. Now Rollins has donated his archive to the Schaumburg Center at the New York Public Library. I'm Audie Cornish. Sonny Rollins on his legacy this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. Welcome back, and thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and today we're talking about teens leaving the home. So graduation's happened. Um, Now it's up to the teen. Some of them are going to college. Some are going to trade schools. Some are going out to work. Uh, Some are staying in the home, and we can talk about that, too. And how do you deal with now this older teen who believes that they should be independent, yet they're in your home? How do you handle that? Would love to hear from you and and hear your thoughts about this as we're talking through. In the first part of the show, we talked about sort of the maturation that is happening and the changes and the, the seeking out the ability to become who you're going to be and um and the the personality changes that one has and the fact that they're trying to go from being stuck in dependent ways to becoming independent and how can they do that and how can we help foster that and i'm going to talk to you a little bit about the some of the things that we can do as we are working to get get our kids there. So when when your teen um, avoids you or argues with you or criticizes or teases you, ignores you or blows up, um, all of that is really part of development. Um, it's part of trying to gain independence and developing identity. So to try to understand this is is a good way to go. Um, I have one study that I found very interesting that I wanted to tell you about, and maybe it kind of explains the differences in the adult brain and in the teenage brain. Um, There was a study that was done that showed a picture of a face of an individual. Um, and the teens, uh, uh, teens were asked to identify the emotion that they saw on that facial expression. And then adults were asked to identify the, the emotion on that facial expression. And across the board, um, the teens got the emotion as anger and the adults got the emotion 
as fear. And when I first looked at it before I finished the study, reading the study, I I interpreted it as fear. And one of the theories as to why um, adults interpreted it differently than um, teens is that the brain activity MRIs were done, by the way, the MRIs of the brain were done on the teens as they were looking at the picture, as were on the adults. And what they found was teens were using a more emotional part of their brain, the amygdala, whereas that's deeper in the brain, it's an emotional part of the brain, whereas adults were using that prefrontal cortex, that reasoning cortex um, to kind of reason out what's going on. So different parts of the brain are being used. Um, And so that's partially why some of this is going on, is that they're thinking with a sort of a different part of their brain as we're moving along. And um, the that prefrontal cortex is still maturing, as we've talked about so very many times on this show. So um, are teens always right? No. Are adults always right? No. But it's still up to us to remember that as our teens are working through who they are and who they're becoming, um, it's important to make sure that we help lead them and give them the proper training. So um, did you, um, listeners, did you have any experiences going off to college where something hit you in the face that you were clearly not ready for? Did you feel fully prepared Um, Have you had a teen go off to college and find that they were floundering and not not prepared? Um, Were there any surprises that you had? Did you think you'd prepared your child or did you think you were prepared and then find out that, oh, gosh, um, here I am in this dorm and I can't study. I can't organize. I'm losing things. I don't know how to take care of myself. So how can we avoid those those pitfalls as our our kids are moving along? I do want to hear from you, so you can give us a call at eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So let's talk about um, some of the things that we need to teach. And there, there are four main components as we're working on getting our teens into the adult world and learning who they can be and what they should be. So responsibility, accountability, um, work ethic, and self-help. How do they help themselves? So in the next um, few minutes, I'm going to just step through these and explain what I'm talking about as we're moving along. Um, So when we're talking about responsibility, we want to make sure that as we're moving along that our teens learn to act responsibly, that they did what was right, even though it was hard to do. 
that's the lesson we want them to learn. Um, or that they had to pay for their bad choices and their bad mistakes. And over and over, we hear so many times that kids make bad choices, they make mistakes, and parents run in to save them. And I'm sure there are many teachers out there who find that these helicopter parents who are out there who are determined to save their child from any pitfall, any negative happening, often run to the defense of their child and say, not my child. They didn't do that. They were not accountable. They were not responsible for um, what they did. They were not held accountable because they found that they were not responsible. When in many times it, it was their fault. Let me give you a little tiny example, a mistake that I think many of us make, and I did this. I did some of this to save my child. So um, you have a child who goes to school, and they go to school without the books they need for a particular class, or they left their report at home. They forgot it. And they call and they say, I'm going to get a zero if you don't bring that in. I need that report. What do you do? Um, How many of you out there have jumped in the car, driven to the school to save them? Or how many times has your child walked out of the house with mm, without their lunch and or without the clothes for their sports events or their cheerleader outfit, or I can keep naming, and you know that um, many times that may happen once. Now, let's talk about when is it okay to do that and when is it not? Are you teaching responsibility if you save them every time? So if you have a child who maybe is overly busy and struggling a lot, and this is a very unusual occurrence, perhaps that's okay to save them on that. But if you have a child who once or twice a week, you're always having to run to the school to save them, are you teaching them responsibility? Are you teaching yourself the fact that you are going to save your child every time they get in a tight spot? And what kind of lesson might they be learning from that? So I'd like to hear what you think about that. Do you feel that's appropriate? Um, when is it not appropriate? The same thing goes for um, accountability and responsibility as far as um, taking responsibility for an, another act, such as um, a bullying act um, or um, an issue where perhaps the individual, your child, um, was accused of something. Do you jump into their defense quickly before you find out what the real story was? Or do you feel like you step back and you try to get the evidence before you say, not my child, my child could not have done that. 
So I'd like to hear if you have some thoughts on where do you draw the line? When do you jump in? I know as a physician in developmental behavioral pediatrics, I have often encouraged parents to go into the school when I felt the child was not getting appropriate services or when I felt bullying was going significantly over the line and the child was in trouble for it. So I I do think that there are times when parents must step in and must have the child know that they will be defended and will be taken care of. When do you draw the line? How do you fix it and take care of it without um, interfering with the lessons learned on self-help and accountability and responsibility? So that's just a question. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this because there's not a hard line on this. There there really is some question about when is it okay to save and when is it not. And as we move along, we'll talk more about that. But let's go on to the phones. We have Donna and Meridian. Um, Donna, you have some comments about sending your child to college? Yes, hello. Uh, you, you were asking while, a few minutes ago about... Um, you know, sending your child off to school and then, you know, wondering and then seeing how they how they do away from home. Right. I have two grown daughters. Both of them now are married and have children of their own, but they both went out of school, out of state to, to college. Uh-huh. And um, we, they were raised in a, in a conservative Christian home and we sent them to Christian schools. But my first daughter, when she went off, uh, she came home for her Thanksgiving break with um, rings on her toes and new piercings on her ears. <laughs> and, of course, that kind of thing isn't done in Meridian, Mississippi. At least it wasn't back then. <laughs> Not back then. then, right. And I was just appalled because she had always been, She was both of them were easy teenagers and got along well with teachers and did well in school and all that kind of thing. And I made a big deal about it, and boy, she hung on to that stuff for a long, long time before she finally let that go. So four years later, her, her little sister went off to college. And when she came home for her first break, she had dyed her beautiful hair brilliant red. <laughs> <laughs> and I did not say one word. Not one word did I say. We had a lovely break, and we just went on about life. And... Finally, right before she went back to school, I guess she couldn't stand it anymore. And she said, well, you haven't said anything about your hair, about my hair. What do you think? And I said, I think that it is your hair. And if it makes you happy, it's okay with me. But I said, but I do think that the colors you have to wear to go with that color of hair don't really go with your complexion. And that was all I said. Wow. And by the next vacation... The red hair was gone. <laughs> and that was just, that was a good lesson for me that, yeah. you know, once they leave home and they're independent, they're going to make some mistakes and they're going to try new things that I don't like. But if I just keep my mouth shut and only answer if they ask and keep my opinions, you know, still, if this is your decision, things went much, much better after that. 
Donna, that is a great story, and, <laughs> and I'll tell you, you you taught yourself. You, um, it's it's part of that behavior medicine that I love. Um, yeah. You found that giving hard attention to something that you really don't like is only reinforcing. Exactly. And so, <laughs> what you did was you didn't give a lot of attention to it. The other thing is, it sounds like you realized it really was just an attempt to say, hey, I'm independent now. I'm different. I can make all my decisions. And yeah, yeah. they were becoming a part of that college community. And of course, they were going to, you know, dabble in in those things. And it was all harmless and it was all temporary. So, yeah, it was a good lesson for me. And I I wanted to comment, too, if you have time, Um, you were talking about, you know, when do you rescue and when do you not? Right. Um, I had a situation with my younger daughter when she was in high school. She tended to be overweight her whole life. She was a chubby baby and and was somewhat overweight her whole life, but an absolutely beautiful girl and gifted and talented and, you know, good student and all that kind of thing. And she came home one day from high school. I think she was a junior. And, you know, when they hit the door and they're upset, you can tell instantly. Mm-hmm. And I knew mm-hmm. something bad had happened in school and when I got it out of her she was taking some kind of a class at school and the teacher a male teacher had um, commented negatively on her weight in front of the entire class oh my goodness and she was just utterly devastated and I could hardly believe it but her reaction was so severe and so before I called the school to ask about it, I called two or three of her friends that I knew were in class with her, and I asked them if it was true. And they, everyone said, yes, ma'am, That's, this is what he said, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so forth. And so I called the principal that afternoon and talked to him about it and made an appointment to go in and see him the next morning, he and the teacher. And my husband and I went in the next morning, and uh, I think the principal had already said to the teacher, look, you better listen to what this lady says, or she's going to be after your job, buddy. (laughs) Right. You know, and I basically said to him, you know what, from the day my children started school, I told them if they got in trouble at school, they were going to be in trouble here at home. And I trusted you people here at this school to treat my children with respect and fairly and i trusted you to make sure that good things happened to them here and you sir have betrayed my trust and i insisted before our conversation was over i insisted that he apologize to her publicly i said you insulted her publicly i expect you to apologize in front of the class as well and the principal was completely supportive Mm -hmm. and um and that's exactly what happened. And my daughter hit the door that, that afternoon from school, and her first words out of her mouth was, what did you say to him? <laughs> he apologized to me. And I was worried that that might not be the right thing if I thought it over. But in, at least in that case, it was the right thing. And I never regretted doing that. You that know, was that was the only time I ever went to school. Yeah. 
something like that. Yeah, Donna, um, you did the right thing because that is that um, the self-image issue and the difficulty. You know, your daughter probably already had had some issues in her own mind about her weight because so much emphasis has been placed on that in the last several years. And then to have someone pointed out who was not a peer, but a superior that she had to stay respectful to because you taught her to do that. Um, what kind of um, alternative did she have? The only thing that I would say is to empower her with also being able to say that's a really unkind thing for you to say, to be able to look somebody in the eye and say that is really an unkind thing for you to say and leave it at that. Um, but I think you did the right thing, and I, I bet other listeners out there would agree with me that it, there are times like that. And and the apology, thank goodness, was good. Um, I have had instances um, in my practice and in my personal life where sometimes that kind of thing backfired and that um, teacher perhaps did a little bit more bullying Um when uh, a parent stepped in. So I would say your outcome was so good because you had the principal behind you, and that's very important. So I think you've taught us two good lessons, when to go walk in and speak for your child, and then the other thing is when to step back and ignore behaviors that you know are not harmful to your child. Now, piercings and tattoos can, so if you say anything about piercings, parents, and tattoos, please (laughs) remind your kids to please go to somebody who is very reputable and you know uses all sterilized equipment because there are many diseases and horrible infections that can happen from tattooing and um, piercings. So that's another thing to think about. I mean, we've had nasal septums lost from bad piercings. So... Anyway, Donna, thanks so much for your call. Thanks for your time. Thank you. All right. We're going to take our next break, and we'll continue to talk about um, how to prepare your teens for life. Uh, I want you to give us a call at 877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org and let us know how you prepared them, how you were prepared, or um, any advice that you might have. This is Relatively Speaking, and we'll be right back. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners.
Mississippi Public Broadcasting presents Shape Up and Read, a family fun day, Saturday, June 17th from 9 till 2 at the Jackson Convention Complex. Enjoy a live Bob the Builder mini show and meet your favorite PBS and MPB characters. Many hands-on learning activities and resources will be provided. Sign up for this free community event at mpbonline.org slash summer learning. Made possible by a ready-to-learn grant provided by the U.S. Department of Education to the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we are talking about preparing our teens for college and understanding them better. What What's happening to them? What's happening to us? Why does sometimes the relationship get a little bit shaky? And we've talked about brain differences, brain changes, and we've been talking about teaching responsibility and accountability and when to step in and when not to save your child. But before we get back to this, I do want to just tell everybody about a seminar that's getting ready to happen. Um, And it's sort of along the same lines of learning your rights, knowing what to do, um, how to obtain services, and knowing that if your child in college, going to college, needs special services, that there is something out there. So the Coalition for Citizens with Disabilities is hosting a seminar in Jackson on special education law on July the 10th. There are two special education lawyers from Arizona who will be the speakers, and lawyers can get um, CLU credits and teachers can get staff development credits. The seminar is great for lawyers, child advocates, educators, parents, agency folks, but there are a limited, there are a limited number of stipends left to help parents on their registration costs. So if you want more information about this, you can go to... Um, the www.mscd.org, or you can call the coalition at 800-721-7255. So hopefully, if you need any help with those kinds of things, please, please give them a call. It sounds like a great seminar. I hope to attend it myself. All right, let's go back to the phones. We have Charlotte in Oxford. Charlotte, you have some comments about teaching children. Yes. Um, when my daughter was four, she came to me and said, I want to pick out my own clothes. Well, you know, that can get you in a lot of trouble. <laughs> so I said, well, how about if we divide um, the choice? That if we go to the store and I show you the tables and the racks that you can choose from, then I'll let you choose from, you know, those, whatever you'd like because we just didn't have a lot of money to spend on clothes, and I told her that. So it held through all the rest of her life, even to today when she's grown adult and middle-aged. She would, uh, We would go to the store, and she would pick a middle-of-the-road store, 
And I would go look at things I wanted to, and she would go look at things she wanted. And this was all the way through college. She would just say, I do need a few clothes for this year, or mine are getting old. And I said, okay. And we would go clothes shopping. And she always picked out affordable clothes. That's great advice. Now, Charlotte, I have a question. Did If she picked out clothes and they weren't um, completely of your taste, but they were affordable clothes and within the budget, did you still let her purchase them? When it came to things like colors or matching and things, yes. Good. Uh, But, uh, of course, when she hit teenager, one day she wore a short two-skirt, two shorts, Uh And my husband told her that she was never to wear that skirt outside again. And I let him take charge of those kind of things. But she honored our request because we gave her much freedom. But we always told her to think of the consequences of her decisions. And the older she got into junior high and high school, we let her make more decisions that we felt she was ready for. But she would always have to understand what the consequences were. And then when she was able to drive, we told her that if she got a speeding ticket, she would have to pay it out of her own money. She babysat uh, and worked summers in high school and college, so she would have some spending money of her own. And, uh, And so she's never had a speeding ticket. Now, she was very mature for a child, and she grew up uh, with a nice bit of common sense. Yeah. But uh, we always let her uh, decide, and we told her when she was in high school, if she, we could trust what she told us, that she would get to do many, many more things and go on school trips and do a lot of things that she would get to do if we found that we could not trust her and she was getting into things that were harmful. Yeah. So That's, we let her do that. If she wanted to go on a school trip or something like that, we made it possible for her to go. But we have never had any bad reports from her. That's wonderful. And it sounds like what you were doing as y'all were moving along is you were teaching accountability by making her... Uh, allow her to know that if she made a choice to do something and there was a consequence, she she had to stand by whatever consequence happened. It sounds like, one, you had a daughter who was a, a sweet girl growing up, but it also sounds like y'all were very consistent and firm, and she knew that you weren't wavering on what you said. The worst thing you can do is say that there will be a consequence and then not follow through. So right, that consistency... You know, is so important yeah right she was very good and then when she got old enough to live on her own uh, for graduate school and things and started dating a young man seriously I told her to be very careful about her decisions she was making because her decisions would all be her responsibility that he may never take any responsibility for anything that happened to her Right, and, and I'm you sure. You to think through things very carefully before you make decisions because uh, it, can, it can affect or even ruin your whole rest of your life. Because the sooner they make bad decisions, the more consequences for the rest of their lives. Right. Charlotte, so, it sounds like you and your husband did a great job. And I'm sure you were talking about um, pregnancy and our 
potential right. pregnancy and mm-hmm. and all and that's one of the talks that parents need to have with their teens and and not when they're 18 but when mm-hmm. they are um much much younger that um having sex I'll talk about this frankly having mm-hmm. sex um is puts you out there not not just for pregnancy but other other diseases, sexually transmitted diseases. And so everybody needs to keep in mind that um, there are some teens who are. So you need to discuss the ability to protect yourself, what appropriate protection is, what can happen, what the consequences are. And, and that's a discussion that really needs to start happening prior to junior high, honestly. So, Charlotte, thanks for that call. It sounds like you did a great job and you have a great daughter. Well, we did have a wonderful daughter, so I can't take all the credit for it. And we did take her to church, and but we did not constantly preach to her and, you know, constant things like that. We gave her room to see how she would make her decisions. But she knew that her father would hold her responsible. (laughs) Right. And and I guess I would have too. But uh, anyway, it it was wonderful to have our family, and we thoroughly enjoyed it. So I hope people out there will always remember to let their children fall down sometimes. Yep, you got to. You got to give them an opportunity to fail, um, and you've got to let them learn consequences. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Charlotte. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Well, let's go before we take another break. Um, in fact, I don't think we'll have time. If that's okay, Jay, can we go on? Yes. Okay. We're going to go to Michael in Jackson. He's got some comments, too, about teaching teenagers. Michael, thanks for waiting. You still there? Yes, ma'am. I'm still here. I just... I am actually a teacher, and I had some. I, I teach juniors and sophomores, and I had a question uh, just regarding education uh, of teenagers. Uh, as a teacher, if the brain is still developing, to what extent should teenagers be able to master high school coursework? Oh, um, so that's a really good question, Michael, because we keep talking about how the brain's developing and you're not Mm -hmm. done yet. And so the main thing that's affected is um, by the further maturation of the brain is what's called executive function. So that's Mm -hmm. reasoning, um, attention span and and that kind of kind of thing. So memory imprinting is certainly happening as long as they're uh, continuing to use whatever part of the brain they're using to learn math or to learn languages or whatever. So mm-hmm. so certainly the teenage brain is very capable of learning as as you know probably by yes, teaching those incredible teens who just seem I think they learn more quickly than than I I did, but um, it's it. So it doesn't mean that they can't learn, and it doesn't mean that they can't remember. They certainly do, but right. but to remember that 
um, active teaching, participatory teaching is so much better to allow them to move about, to allow them to have hands-on teaching as much as you can, to allow them to be creative and, and for you as a teacher to be creative in what you do because so many times the textbooks we have or the online courses don't don't add in the flair that a good teacher really can give. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think um, that that I have no doubt that many of these teens are going to be in in our midst here in Mississippi and our surrounding states will be uh, future wonderful leaders who who maybe have a lot more now than than we used to. Um, but oh, yes. right, I mean mm-hmm. now we know that kindergartners can easily learn to read. Right? And learn their multiplications. Learn yeah. their multiplications. And yeah. we used to not even teach that until the second or third grade. So, um, gosh, I hope I wasn't implying anything about the ability to learn. Um, mm-hmm. It's the emotional end of it all that, and the attention end, that that seems to be what's developing on out there. And that's why many times... You know, if we think an 18 or 19-year-old can figure out on the career for the rest of their life, we are asking for many of them to make decisions that they really shouldn't be making right now mm-hmm. because so many times they change, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that 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 can apply to us as adults, you know, to change careers and, you know, at, at different points, you know, at 30 or 40 or 50 for that matter. So, yeah, I mean, that. That would be a lot for a teenager to, uh, I said it would, it would be a challenge for them to kind of understand at that, at that age, you know, what they want to do for the rest of their life as far as a career is concerned. I haven't thought about that before. Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, I think, and I would encourage, um, Michael, since you are right there in the classroom with these guys, um, I would encourage you to encourage them to start thinking about what really makes them feel passionate? What really gives them joy in learning? What do they want to know more about? Because they'll be able to start finding their pathway. If, you know, if dad tells them they must be a doctor, but they have absolutely no interest in in that, then they don't need to be doing that. They need to find what they can have joy in. And if you really go hard after any profession, you can make enough money to be happy, right? Mm-hmm. So, and now I don't think teachers get paid enough, by the way, Michael. And every <laughs> chance I get, I push for that. So thank mm-hmm. you for your service to our kids. Mm-hmm. And um, know that that you are one of those individuals who can probably change a child's life, um, you mm-hmm. know, if you if you help them find that proper path. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I hope so. I, I do try and I do love what I do and I love teaching the, the, the particular, you know, age group that I teach, you know, to try to inspire them to, uh, you know, about making the right choices. And I teach history and so a lot of that ties in with, you know, the choices that were made in the past and, you know, how they can use that aspect of what I teach to help them out with, with their own choices that they make for themselves. So, you know, I do hope that helps, that helps for them. I hope so. 
I'm sure it does. And I think I would encourage you to remind them. You know, I've had several st- several patients in my office who who have told me that there is one particular teacher who who basically helped save their school career and and I dare say that there are teachers out there who probably saved a child's life. So again, um, thanks to all the teachers out there who are listening and if if they're not listening and you know one, be sure to thank them for what they do for helping these teens, especially who are probably a little difficult to teach every now and then, but can be unbelievably delightful and wonderful um, to have in our midst. So Michael, thanks for your call and thanks to our other callers and listeners. Um, This has been a a great show, and I hope that everybody uh, starts working now to get their teens prepared for that uh, break from home, but no mistakes will probably be made. Today's show was engineered by Jay White, our call screener, the wonderful Patrick Price. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. Join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking, and stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now, coming up next on NPB Think Radio.